0: All right, well, hello. My name is Joseph. I'm with Tim Spamberg. Hey. How's it going? Uh, we're glad to be with you again. This is episode 7, How to Read Our Bible. Uh, we're talking about the Gospels today, which, I mean, it's always good to be talking about the Gospel, but Tim, I have an opening question for you here. Okay. If we're going to take Jesus' teaching seriously in the Gospels...
1: Or literally, because people say, you got to read the Bible literally.
0: Literally, sure. Yeah. There we go. Was the great church father Origen was he right for castrating himself?
1: So castration is where we're starting this podcast. That's absolutely right. Uh, and if you're wondering why, why Joseph would start there, I mean, there's many reasons why you might ask that question. But Jesus are, said, "Are there if you, if you, <laughs> if you struggle with, um, with lust, you should tear off pieces of your body in order to not be thrown into hell." And uh, there were early Christians that were like, yeah, we're in, man. That's what we got to do. That's what we got to do. One of them being Origen, who was a famous Christian author. And my answer is no, he is completely wrong for having done that. He needed better hermeneutics. Well, that's good news. Because our friend Joel Osteen would. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) (laughs) jeez!
0: That's good news for a lot of people. It is. Um, All right. But seriously, though, this is a question that that I, well, not the question of castration. I don't wrestle with that a lot. But... How do we understand Jesus' teaching? Because I read the Gospels a lot, and I, and I, and I truly mean this. This isn't just like a setup for a, a conversation. I struggle with understanding Jesus, even though we're preaching through the Gospel of Luke and I have to get up there and do it. There's lots of times where I read through the Gospels, and I'm just like, Jesus, I don't, I don't know what you're getting at here, or what are we supposed to do with, with some of these intense teachings like the one you just referenced in the Sermon on the Mount? Right, that if your eye causes you to sin, then cut it out, and and so when, when you when you don't take that seriously, but then right afterwards he he also says you know turn your cheek. How how do we make sense of those things? So,
1: what do you think in terms of these difficult teachings of Jesus? So I would say two things. One, this is why we sort of had a little bit of pushback and have had a little bit of pushback. And for those of you who listen to or are part of our Revelation class we we talked at length about this but pushing back to that idea of reading the bible literally and the reason for like if you read literally what jesus is saying then literally you have like you're going to end up with nobody left because you have to cut it all off because you're you're a sinner so we want to read the bible literarily so when jesus says you know if your eye causes you to sin cut it out our first question should be what does he mean by that does he mean cut out your eye or does he mean something else so that that's why there's limitations to saying reading the Bible literally, but then secondly, I think you just have to you have to take each teaching on its own, right? So there's lots of different places we could take that. So do you have do you have a text in mind, a teaching of Jesus in mind that you read and you're like, wow, that? What are we doing? What are we doing, Jesus? Well, I mean, I could think about uh, Jesus' teaching on money.
0: Mm. Okay, so we're in the Gospel of Luke. This is a huge theme in Luke, generosity, that that leads straight into volume two of, of Luke's writing, which is the book of Acts, where you just see the early church, right, just giving their money away, selling their possessions. And in the gospel of Luke, you have a repeated theme over and over. Number one, it starts off with it being good news for the poor, Luke 4. In a certain sense, either not having money is a good thing or giving away all your money is a good thing. And in my reading of Luke, there's not a clear indication that that storing up money for you it is a good thing. Actually, Jesus says the exact opposite in Luke 12. He says, if you store up money here, then you're leaving it to, to moths and for robbers to come. But instead, store up treasures in heaven. And then the immediate question is, well, what about my basic needs? And Jesus says, trust, trust in your Father in heaven. If he clothes the lilies of the fields, he will clothe you. If he gives food for the birds, he will give you food. And so I wrestle with, where do you draw the line with kind of tampering or, or diluting Jesus' teaching? You know, sometimes, you know, when, when you compare everything to, like, cutting off a part of your body and say, well, we can't take it fully seriously, then do we end up diluting some, some tough teachings where Jesus is really trying to challenge us?
1: Yes. So the first thing we have to name is, I am likely to dilute anything Jesus says to me to make it so that I don't have to do what he's actually saying have that assumption, right? I'm going to find a way to explain around that. And even, I think it was interesting, you and I were in a meeting where we were talking through the rich young ruler passage. Yeah. It's there, Jesus says to that, the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus, says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all uh, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Basically, keep the commandments. The guy says, I've done it. I've done that. What am I still lacking? And then Jesus says, go sell all that you have, give to the poor, then come follow me. And I found it interesting, like, as we were, you know, as a teaching team across campuses, working through that text, there was a real desire to mute that this is a text about wealth. When even Jesus follows up that whole teaching by saying, it's really hard for rich people to go to heaven. I mean, this is explicitly about wealth. And even a bunch of pastors who have seminary degrees, in the in other words, like, we've done the work of trying to exegete the text, understand it, are missing like the point of what Jesus was saying because we can get so wrapped into a world where we want to dilute what he's saying. So this isn't just those of you listening. We pastors do this as well. And, and so just naming that. Like I'm likely. So if we're saying specifically wealth, I am likely to dilute that because I live in an outrageously wealthy culture. So that's one. Two, I, I, we always need to read with the whole Bible in mind. So there are other parts of the Bible that do, and even I think parts of Jesus teaching that speak to the, the wisdom of, of planning, of being responsible, diligent. So the Bible isn't just a uniform message of sell all that you have and give it away because all wealth is bad. And those two things are intention. So dilution, like I'm likely to, to dilute what Jesus teaches, while also there's things in the Bible that encourage good stewardship. Well, I would say thirdly, we live in a, a, very, a very complex world when it comes to wealth, and I think it's, mm-hmm. it's really hard for us to think through at what point have I stored up too much, right? So, I mean, I'll get really practical. My family has about a six month emergency fund. Mm-hmm. So if, if I made no income for six months, my family would be fine. Uh, but we also live in a time where medical bills are enormous. So one of our kids has enormous medical bills. So what, and, and we have significant purchase coming down the road because of things to care for him well. So what does responsibility look like for us to care well for our son who will have different types of needs than other people that may require a bigger savings account for us than someone else, but that, that's going to get worked out individually. So all that to say, I mean, there's a lot that we could go into that, but they didn't have those capabilities in, in, that, you know, in that day in terms of, of living very long into your old life where you couldn't work anymore and needing financial means to care for yourself at the end of life. That looked very differently than it does now. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all complex. However, the last thing I'll say is, is, is then looking at loose gospel in particular— just do a word search on the word poor. And even here, because Luke wrote Luke and Acts, do a word search on the word poor all the way through Luke and Acts, and you find some pretty consistent themes that then you have to wrestle through. And one of the most interesting themes is poor are very present all through Luke's gospel and at the beginning of Acts, and then as a theme, it disappears. So once you get to the middle of Acts to the end of Acts, the theme of the poor is really gone, Mm. And there's a uh, there's lots of interesting questions as to why, but the most compelling one I've heard is because you saw uh, Luke intentionally shows the early church's treatment of the poor in Acts. He's making a theological point that by the time the church is established in the world, the needs of the poor are going away because the church is so generous. And can we say that? Like, could we say that now about our own our, mm. about our own community? There's no really needs of the poor among us because the church is so. Generous? Could we make a statement like that? So anyway, I, that's a lot that I just threw out there. Yeah. But but the big thing is this tension between I am likely to dilute any teaching that calls sin out of me, and I'm also going to have biblical teaching that's going to encourage that dilution, just in the sense of like the Bible isn't just give this much money away or sell this much. Mm-hmm. It's both be wise and prudent, and it's also wealth is most likely going to lead you to hell, and you need to be very very cautious, and very intentional with it. Oh, that's
0: good. I think you're showing the complexity of the issues, and and I think it's helpful even just showing, like, there's not a clear answer. And I think, you know, when I think about this issue, I, I assume for my own self, number one, this is part of the purpose of Jesus is, is to be provocative, not for just the sake of, you know, as um, Ron Burgundy would say, "Getting the people going," uh, but who's who's this? <laughs> Ron Burgundy? <laughs>
1: who's Ron? Is he a theologian? Or I'm kind of a big deal. People
0: know me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I just want to make sure people know that you watch I, well, I already
0: I already said Goodwill Hunting in a sermon. That's There's, true. <laughs> That's I quote true, it? I quoted from uh, Wedding Crashers once. It, it's <laughs> I'm a mess up here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but all all that to say. Uh, so I think right, it's going to be a constant challenge, and it should be. And I think if we stop being challenged by Jesus' words, then that's a clear sign that, that we've really diluted what, what he said. That when, when we read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, through 7, that should always cause us to pause. I think something for me that I've arrived at, that that sounds sounds a bit haughty, I don't know, but, but in terms of just thinking through this issue, actually it connects to all this conversation we've had about covenants so we've talked about the new covenant promised in jeremiah 31 and one of the promises is that the law would be written on the heart especially in the gospel of matthew that's what you see in jesus is like you get an embodied example what does it look like for someone Mm -hmm. to have the law written on their heart you know it doesn't mean that there's one rule that jesus follows all the time right when it comes to sabbath he'll heal on the sabbath yeah because part of the law being written on the heart is the gracious compassion of, of god not legalism but yet at the same time, he, he elevates the law, saying it's not just about not murdering. It's actually about anger, right? And, and that's getting at, at the issue of the heart. And, and even when he talks to the Pharisees, he says, you know, you Pharisees, you've, you've cleaned the outside of the cup, but the inside of your cup is still dirty. So when I think about us being new covenant people sealed by the Spirit, and part of that means having the law written on the heart, is, is we're just looking to Jesus. Of, of What does it mean as he lives a life with the law on his heart? How does he live out the Sermon on the Mount in his interactions with people? Um, like So holding his strong teachings with the way he interacts and, and trying to piece together how that demonstrates the law on our hearts. That, that's kind of been my way of approaching and, and progressing through the difficult teachings of Jesus.
1: And I, I would add to that, are we really convinced Jesus is like lived a beautiful human life and has access to wisdom and knowledge we don't have. Actually, and it has access to wisdom and knowledge no one else has because he's the unique son of God. And when we get to episode 10, we're going to talk about kind of how, like how we, what Bible reading looks like in our lives. But one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was whatever your Bible reading rhythm is, should always include a gospel or readings from the gospels, Jesus' life and teaching, um, because just staying in tune with his voice, the way he pushes on us, is really important. But also because I think we listen to to voices that can in time make Jesus seem very impractical. Or we actually think someone else has a better vision of the good life or how to live than Jesus has. And I think ultimately a part of what makes his, his teachings at times difficult for us is obviously the cultural distance. The, what are you saying? Is this hyperbole? What are you saying? Should I take this literally? Not. Um, but he pushes buttons that we don't want pushed because he views the world the way that the father views the world, right? His, the law's written on his heart. He just sees the world in a certain way that we don't. Mm-hmm. And so when we read things that he said that is a different vision of the world, we want to go listen to voices that will confirm the vision of the world we want um, to have happen. So a teaching of Jesus I've really been wrestling with. Is his love your enemies. That's where he ends, or it doesn't end the Sermon on It's the the end of the passage from before. You know, if Origen had just kept reading before he castrated himself, he would have gotten to a better passage, maybe to, <laughs> to be take more literally. But Jesus said, like, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Guy just didn't grow up in a church that was love your enemies. Mm-hmm. I knew very clearly who my cultural enemies were, who my political enemies were, who were the people who were going to make the world bad. And listen, that doesn't mean that there are people who are not going to make the world bad. There are. But I never had a sense of like, those are people I'm called to love and to sacrifice and to pray for. I am more and more growing in awareness how different a vision Jesus had for his enemies than how the average Christian in our cultural context has for their enemies. And ultimately, my question, you know, the question for us then is: Well, is he more brilliant than other voices that encourage us to to be condescending kind of to our enemies, to right. speak against them? Those things. Well, and that ties to where we began in this series,
0: which is what what story are we living out of? And when we look at Jesus, he's someone who's living out of the right story and viewing the world out of the right story. And so he's he's exemplifying that perfectly. I'm curious, you know, so so kind of turning a bit of a corner here. Jesus in John 14, still thinking about implications of the Gospels. Like what, what does it mean for our life? Not just the teaching, but the actions of Jesus. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you the Spirit, and you will do greater things than me. When he sends out the disciples, mm-hmm. he sends them out in pairs, and he says, you know, go, go and do, basically, what, what you've seen me doing. And they, they go cast out demons. They heal people. They preach the Gospel. All these things. And there's this John Wimber quote that I absolutely love. Uh, John Wimber may be controversial to some of these listeners. You know, He basically started the Vineyard Movement, charismatic mm-hmm. movement. But he, he left a church, and basically his, his question was, when are we going to start doing the things Jesus was doing? And so he leaves, and then he starts going door to door and praying, and people start getting healed. And, and that's the, the catalyst of, of this crazy movement that is Vineyard. And so I, I just put forward to you, what, what do we make of the life Jesus lives, the life he seems like he, he offers to his immediate disciples, the life that, that could be had in the spirit, and then juxtaposed to the life that we live? Should, should we be expecting ourselves to be doing things that
1: Jesus was doing? So the scripture you quoted is John 14. is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. (laughs) There it is. Yeah, I think that clears it up, doesn't it? Yeah, it it sure did. Uh, So, I mean, well, one one response to this is, well, Jesus is just speaking to the disciples. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is only relevant to the you know the early church. The early church kind of needed a a boom to get it going, which
0: again and, is a hard because then what passages are? How do you delineate that? Oh, I, d- I totally disagree right. with this reading of right. scripture. I'm just I'm saying no, this no, no. Is no one I, way. Yeah, I'm Just hopping on.
1: <laughs> For those of you who don't, are like, listen, I don't want to be charismatic. I want to just keep just let's keep that all the weird stuff to Jesus. Um, that's that's one way of reading it. I find that not particularly compelling because Jesus didn't seem to suggest, "Hey, listen, the kingdom's going to break into the world really powerfully for about thirty years, and then it's going to be, you know, then not much is going to happen until I come back." I just don't, I don't see that. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't really have a good answer. I think to your question, here's here's what I'll say. And just when I, we don't. This isn't really planned out. So I'm. This is something I've actually been thinking really deeply about. And. There's two things that, that I've been wrestling through. One is, I, I think the last, so we're recording this in February of, or March of March, 2021. March March 20, it's March 1. <laughs> Almost a year ago COVID yes. started. I just think the church has been exposed to be on a mission that's completely opposite of what Jesus is about in the last year. I think that was always true. I just think in the last year, basic things like like prayer, basic things like loving fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, basic things like extending forgiveness and grace, like basic heart of gospel type things are almost absent in the average Christian. And that may, you know, you may say, wow, that's a, that's a strong statement. I just, I mean, I say there's a pastor who's just hung out with a lot of Christians mm-hmm. who have said things that are like, I don't know how you can, can re, and I, listen, I'm not saying like they're, they're doing wildly wicked things. I'm just saying like, wow, I, I don't know how you can say that and have followed Jesus for 20, 30 years. So in one sense, I think we're on a different mission than Jesus. And there's a lot more I could say about that. I, I just I think we've been exposed as doing something different than what Jesus did, in, at least in the American church context. Because you go to other places where the church is growing, and they are experiencing things like healings, things like uh, charismatic experiences. Again, that doesn't mean that the, the kingdom of God heals all diseases or there's no more death. Right There, there is a limitation to that. And yet the powerful breaking of the kingdom of God is true, I think, in, in places in our, our world. And I, I think the question for us probably should be the question of John Wimber, which is how much is Jesus actually setting the agenda for what our churches are doing, for what we're doing? I mean, listen, I say this as a pastor who's leading a church. Like right. how much of what I do Monday to Sunday actually resembles what Jesus what Jesus did in his time? Right. And listen, that doesn't mean we're not doing anything. I don't believe that. But I do think it's a time for the American church to to wrestle through that. And I think, again, that's just raising the problem that that
0: we, that we keep bringing up, which is when we start diluting, which in a certain sense we're saying kind of happens when we consider complexities, but when we dilute, our tendency is to dilute it in a way that favors our understandings, that favor... Our own selves, so if, if, if we 're not say performing miracles or whatever we 're going to say, well that jesus doesn 't really mean that because that's that's not reflected in my life i mean we're we 're going to dilute in a way that it, that is going to challenge us less, mm-hmm. um, which again i 'm not saying we should all expect after this podcast to you know go heal someone after this um, but but maybe we should I don't, I don't know, but again, like raising that issue of, of the complexity of, of diluting the gospels like what what is at risk and also, again, the complexity of that? But, but the second thing, Tim.
1: Well, and I, I've used this quote before, but this book, The Patient Firmament of the Early Church, there's this moment where the author says that the early church believed that Jesus' death on the cross had destroyed evil power, Satan, demons, all of that. Not finally wiped them out, but destroyed their power strongholds yes. in the world. And that the early church believed that Jesus, through the crucifixion, overcame them in his power and they had access to that power. And I think when your your theology ultimately is, hey, that's gone and done. And our goal now is to to have as many people come to a church service as we can get in number. It's like you're just in a different mission at that point. Yeah. And so I, I think getting back to a place of confidence that even and again the early church had a were culturally dispositioned. They were they did not have cultural power. But they had incredible confidence, not because they believed they were going to get access to that cultural power, but because they had access to Jesus, right. who had overcome everything satanic and evil and demonic in this world. Which is true. He has. Yes. And is that where we're placing our confidence? Right. That Jesus has access to a power, and therefore the the practices Jesus gave us to access that power, which is prayer and faith and uh, in, in serving the poor right. and the sorts of things that you read through Luke's gospel that he did, it's like, well, if we're not doing the things he did, we probably shouldn't expect the same results that that he had in ministry. And again, that, don't, don't hear me saying that as like, well, if we just do the right things, a bunch of people get healed, um, or it's, it's all formulaic. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I am suggesting is I, I do think it's probably time to go revisit some foundations as a church about who who we are and what it is we're doing. Yeah, and, and who we are in relation to the mission and purpose and life of Jesus.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, there's a very interesting—have you heard of Sam Storms? Mm-hmm. You know Sam Storms? So Sam Storms is an interesting guy. He's a Reformed Baptist. He's part of the SBC, which are known for being very conservative, but also himself is pretty charismatic. So he wrote several books on spiritual gifts, but he opens up one of his books by saying— His belief on the problem of the church right now is that it's functioning without any power. That they're trying to operate without any power. And part of that has been the quenching of the Spirit. And it's his way of talking about how we've quenched out of our lives doing the things that Jesus was doing. And again, I'm still working these things out. And I feel like this podcast we we've raised more questions than necessarily resolved, <laughs> we which have, yeah. I'm I'm glad about because I think these are the questions the gospels raise themselves and that we need to consistently be wrestling with. You know, was was John Wimber right of looking around at a church that was a lot like ours, evangelical, gospel preaching church, good music, faithful believers, and asking the question, when am we gonna start doing the things that Jesus was doing? should we be asking that question ourselves and this is maybe too far of a tangent but charles taylor is a huge influence on our church he's a philosopher but we live with a social imaginary that that is defined by something called the imminent frame which is basically our imagination of the world has been so formed by the idea that all we see is all there is right we don't live in a reality in which jesus has conquered satanic power because we don't ever think about satanic power we don't think about the invisible world mm-hmm. so why, why hope in something that doesn't matter that, that isn't a part of the way we see the world um, again these are all, all provocative things and Jesus is inviting us into the world of the gospels that has a much different social imaginary and what power are we, are we operating with
1: yeah, you just launched in some some big stuff. I did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> as we're, As we're wrapping up, <laughs> you know, just low key. <laughs> but I think like I can define that well, right?
1: It's anyways. No, you did, and yeah. it's it's really important stuff. And and probably a good last word is if you're like sitting there, like, gosh, this is this is like we're beating up on the church a little bit. And 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 listen, I think maybe we are a little bit, but ultimately a part of what what Taylor does in his work that Joseph Siding, is say the world has, has really, the way, just the way we view the world has been closed off to supernatural things. So when you get a headache, your thought is not like, is there something spiritual happening in my world right now? Your thought is, if I take two ibuprofen, I'll, I will feel better. And I'm grateful for ibuprofen. However, 500 years ago, the question would have been, am I open to a spiritual attack right now? So there's something else. And again, I'm not saying that that's the right, the right response, but even the openness to a world that's bigger than what we see I think it's a lot of why the church is is weaker now. We're not willing to access a power we cannot see um, because of things like what Taylor mentions in the imminent frame. And we just totally took a hard turn It is, but you know (laughs) what?
0: I want to end on this question because it just came to me, and this is a hot take that I have.
1: Hot takes with Joseph.
0: And so let me preface it by saying, I am evangelical through and through. I will... Live on that and die on on that. I will identify that. I think that's a term worth holding on to. But let me ask you this. Tim, do you think that the modern-day equivalent of the Pharisee would be contemporary evangelicals? Or maybe I can put it this way. I will assert, I think the contemporary Pharisee are evangelicals.
1: You think... I feel like Agreed. if you say yes to that, that makes you a Pharisee. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's I know, I know who the Pharisees are. <laughs>
0: that's an interesting. That's an interesting
1: take. No, I, I think actually would say both the progressive vision of Christianity that's that's out there, as well as the conservative, are both Pharisaical in that salvation is defined not by the grace of Jesus Christ, but by your adherence to some sort of ideology that's outside the primary lane of. What the gospel is, however, what I think is true is the the more even the part you're speaking to is caught on by non Christians, and it's why and listen I've mentioned this on a few Sunday mornings. It's why a lot of people who are non Christians and really struggle in life don't feel comfortable walking into a church because they think they're going to get judged. They think that if their life's not together, they're going to get side eyed looks, and I think that's what you're speaking to ultimately is is there's a spirit that we're better than you. We have the truth. You don't. Right. And rather than that grace of, that we've received being an invitational reality to other people, they don't sense it's that. Mm-hmm. So while I would say, like, I would probably name, there's some progressives I know who are, I would very much name as Pharisees. Hmm. I think in our broad, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm trying to, conv, like, talk to a non-Christian about the goodness of the gospel, at times it is not believable to them because of their experience with, evangelical Christians, which is that the message they've received is, until I get my stuff together, I'm not welcome. And that is very much not the message Jesus preached. And I think part of it is we have like a,
0: a caricature in our mind of what, who the Pharisees are, right? They were just these legalists who, yeah, yeah. you know, had all these ridiculous laws, blah, 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 blah. Well, the reality is that the Pharisees, more than any other group, took Scripture very seriously I mean, you, you have to think about you're you're coming out of the history of Israel that for most of the time, they they didn't take God's scripture seriously at all. I mean, think of King Josiah, opens up the book of scripture and they read it before of everyone, and mm-hmm. they're like, "Oh, we didn't know it says this." And then they then they like goes into a time of repentance. You're like, "What? I didn't realize in this in Second Kings that they had no idea what scripture." So so they they've looked back in the history of Israel and see they didn't take. God's law seriously at all and now are taking it very seriously which again is a clear parallel to evangelicals. We we care a lot about what God says in his word. Mm-hmm. So part of it is we have to get rid of that caricature but secondly I think the Pharisees were so concerned about Jesus just just stating their views back to them. Take for example when Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees about him sitting with a bunch of sinners. The Pharisees come up to him and they're like, dude, you're hanging out with a bunch of sinners. What do you have to say about them? They, they want Jesus to say, yeah, they're, they're sinful people. Here's, here's the things that I consider sinful. And there it is. Yeah. I think that's, that's us too, right? right? Mm-hmm. Imagine somebody coming in and hanging out with a bunch of sinners. I'll take this to a place that we may have to cut out in the, in the podcast. But imagine someone sitting and hanging out with a bunch of LGBTQ people. Mm. That, 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 those are the people that, that some Christian figure was spending time with. Yeah, We would want to know, hey, hey, but what do you think about their sin? Tell us. What, what, what kind of sin, like, are these people sinful or not? We, we want that question answered before we will listen to you. And in my mind, and again, you can push back, and I, I may be wrong about this, But I feel like that is kind of the heart of the Pharisees. They they wanted, that they were missing Jesus because they just they just wanted them Jesus to validate them so badly. And and it wasn't entirely out of a necessarily wrong place. But but the only reason why I bring this up is because when we read the Gospels, right, we need we need to be asking the question: Who are we identifying with? And these groups of people. And if we can never see ourselves in the Pharisees, especially as evangelicals then we're going to have a hard time reading the Gospels rightly because we have the closest affinity to them. And again, that's not true all the time. You know, I feel like I'll read the prodigal son and I'll be like, man, I am, I'm the younger brother who has just run away in sin. And there's other days where I'm the older brother who, who's uptight and, and trying to get the goods of the father by, by being religious. So that's, that's kind of my take on that. And I, and I brought this up because I think it's actually really important for how we read the Gospels. If we can never identify with the Pharisees, we, we will never read the Gospels well.
1: I mean, that, that's just a good reading strategy. Yeah, like, Who are the characters? And who should I identify with? And probably should be all of them at some point. And then, too, I would just say to your specific point of evangelicals, I, mean, I can think of plenty of well-known like, Christian leaders I know that I respect deeply that are theologically orthodox, have proven it, but on Twitter, they're hanging out with someone who is not a Christian or who is in a, a vein of life that is sinful. And Christians just piling on that person saying, why are you with them? That, I, that is, that's, that's sad because that's ultimately what happened to Jesus, which right. is you hang out with the wrong people. And Jesus, of course, his response to that was, well, I came for the sick. The healthy don't need a doctor which, of course, ultimately means that if, if you don't think you need him, you're not for his mission. And that mm-hmm. maybe gets back to where we started, which is maybe we, th- maybe we think we don't need him, ultimately. That mm-hmm. his mission isn't for us because we're, we're good. Well, on that <laughs> note,
0: <laughs> I, hope, I hope this podcast was beneficial to you guys. Uh, I, I enjoyed talking about these things. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think these are all just good questions to wrestle with. Uh, I know we didn't resolve much. But hopefully gets some wheels spinning and and brings helps helps us come to the text, asking questions about ourselves and about Jesus, in in truer moving towards truth, moving towards transformation. So thanks for listening to this podcast, and we'll see you next time.